what you want of me, Lord, I give my life to you. And all my hopes and dreams and plans I place within your hands, Lord, and give my life to you. Here am I, Lord, use me. Take my life and mold me. All I ever want to be is what you want of me, Lord. I give my life to you, and all my hopes and dreams and plans I place within your hands, Lord, and give my life to you. Every day you give me grace, I find my strength in you, Lord, I give my life to you. And though it seems that I will fail, through you I will prevail, Lord, I give my life to you. Here am I, Lord, use me, take my life and mold me. All I ever want to be is what you want of me, Lord. I give my life to you, and all my hopes and dreams and plans I place within your hands, Lord, and give my life to you. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified today. All I ever want to be is what you want of me, Lord. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Still my soul. 
Howdy, good morning. morning. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. This morning, that's our text. That is our authority. Hey, I'm glad to see you. This has been a, hadn't this been a great week? Uh, The Michelin Conference, I have enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Uh, I've gained a little bit of perspective, which I think you can't help but do when you're in a conference like this. And so, uh, Pastor Philbrick, thank you for the, the privilege of being here. And the Philbricks have been so kind to us. You've been kind to us, and we're grateful for that. Um... Thank you to the missionaries who have been a part of this conference. Um, I've been challenged. I've been encouraged. And, you know, there's so, so many differences that most of us know nothing about. Uh, most of us are pretty provincial. We live in our little province of time and space, and we just don't have... No one here has that much perspective. But we've all gained perspective in meeting people who are doing the work of the gospel in India and in Zambia and Haiti, and Dominican Republic, and that's just been a blessing this week. I have really enjoyed that. Uh, I've been culturally enriched, primarily by being in Maine, actually. Um, You know, I mean, we're all foreign this week. We're all from places, you know, every place is far from Maine. If you notice that, you guys have to go a long way just to even get started. Uh, I mean, I have some friends in Marathon Key, Florida, and you've got to travel like seven, eight hours just to get where you can go left or right. I mean, it's all, it's all north from there. And from here, I think uh, it's all south. Although even that, you know, I realized, you know, there's a whole country up above Maine. We kind of forget that, don't we? There's a lot of stuff up there. So uh, this has been a good week to give a little perspective as well. So thank you for your kindness. Thank you for taking the offering for campership uh, since 1953. Deaf campers have not paid a penny to come to camp at uh, Bill Rice Ranch in Murfreesboro at West Branch in lovely, as I always say, Williams, Arizona, and now these 41 years in camps across the Philippine Islands. And so uh, thank you for your part in that. We do not take that for granted, and you're, you've been very generous to do that. So thank you. I've enjoyed the preaching I've heard. I've enjoyed the, the uh, testimonies I've heard. I've enjoyed uh, just every part of this week, and I'm, I'm glad that we could be a part of it. Um, you met Cena, my wife, and Lauren, my daughter. We have uh, two other children. Wilson and Sarah are married. Wilson's our son. Sarah's our daughter-in-law. And Wilson is on camp staff at Bill Rice Ranch and will actually spend a good part of the winter at West Branch in uh, Williams, Arizona. And then Weston is our youngest, and he is a sophomore. Man, I'm getting old. Uh, uh, Bill Rice Bible College. By the way... We are honored to have Seth Daniels at Bill Rice Bible College. And so 
Um, I'll just tell everyone here that, uh, tell Seth that everyone says hello. That's true, right? Do you say hello? There we go. I asked the sisters, do you, do you miss your brother being around? Because I was hoping to take on a really good message to Seth. Like, oh, your sisters miss you. And so I said, do, do you miss your brother? And they said, ah, eh, kind of, you know. <laughs> so, but I could tell. They love the guy, and they, I think they do miss him. I'm, I'm giving them a hard time, actually. But uh, we've enjoyed talking about Seth, and he's been a real blessing. I've, I've told Pastor, but uh, this is true. Uh, Seth just has a good spirit about him, and I'm so grateful for that. And I hope he's learning stuff, I guess, as mom and dad know whether that's true or not. But I, I, we're honored to have him at the ranch, and I don't take that for granted. That's a little bit of a drive, and so thank you, mom and dad. Um, I, I remember the feeling. Uh, sending my children to college, and so I'm grateful for that. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the good news that we share in common across every continent, across every time, and the message that unifies us today. Father, we may scarcely have been out out of our home state. We may come from abroad, but the, the message we have, the message we've sung about, the message on the back of our brochure this morning, Father, is timeless and it's universal. And it works for everyone of every place. And so today I pray that you'd help us remember what that message is in simplicity so that we can know that we're saved, so that we can have assurance that we're saved, and so that we can be sharing this good news with everyone we know. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder, are you an optimist? How many of you are optimists? Anyone here an optimist? If you're thinking, ah, I don't know, then probably you're not an optimist. Um, Okay. So, if I were to say, do you think things will be better in the United States of America five years from now? Man, you're a bunch of negative people, aren't you? If I were to say, hey, do you think you're going to be better off in ten years than you are right now? Financially, you know, freedom, whatever. Um, Now, maybe you think so, and I'm, I'm not making a point here. I'm just, I think I'm mirroring here a little bit of what I think most of us uh, feel, and Perhaps this would have been true 10 years ago, and perhaps it would have been true 10 years ago. But I'm not sensing that Americans are, generally speaking, optimistic right now about the future. Am I mistaken? Now, I'm an optimist. You know, I I tell my wife, I'm I'm naturally an optimist, but man, I'm living. Experience is making me more and more pessimistic about everybody these days. And so the truth is, um, you know, we we can be kind of pessimistic. I I saw a, a poll for whatever those can be relied upon for back in April that um, in, in broad strokes that said that 60% of Americans polled, again, who knows if this is true, but 60% of the five people we polled back in April said, you know, they think life was better 50 years ago. Well, you know, a lot of us don't even remember 50 years ago, even if we were here. Uh, the, the poll went on to, you know, it was striated, so it was, you know, percentages for specific questions about the future. And just in general... Um, 66 to 81 percent of respondents said they did not exactly have a great view of the future. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I think we're all ready for some good news, don't you? I think India is ready for some good news, don't you? I think Haiti is ready for some good news, don't you? I think Zambia is ready for some good news. I think Clinton, Indiana, and Illinois, and the five all pass on the way back need some good news, and I think we've got it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, verse 23, before we get to the text, says, um, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. And then it goes on to say in verse 32, 
um, that um, if this is all there is, here and now and five years from now, then uh, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if you got that poll and you responded or not. A child of God should not have a dour outlook on the future. Because the ultimate reality is, Christ died for our sins, He was buried, He rose again, and that ought to completely change your outlook on the future, whatever continent you live on. So look at the good news in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love this. And we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll uh, go to the chase. Verse 3. Paul says, through inspiration, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So this was given by God to uh, Paul. It's been given by God to us. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now what he's giving here is called the good news. Good news uh, is called the gospel, which means good news. And so it's kind of in, in uh, three, three parts. First of all, Christ died for our sins. Verse 4 says, And that He, Christ, was buried, and that He, Christ, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So everything we're talking about is just as God said it would be. So I want to tell you something. I'm guessing you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, but this is something you need to have clearly in your mind. You know, in spite of ourselves, we adults... And we church people just seem bound and determined to make the gospel complicated and hard. And we, we bring in all kinds of emotions and feelings and experiences that muddle the gospel. You do not have time for that. You do not have energy for that. The gospel is good news. And I'll, I'll tell you something. If you can get a hold of the good news, then it will help you. Uh, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as Savior, I hope that today... You will do what a, a lady did this week, actually, because of this mission conference. I hope you will turn from your way and your efforts to God's Son exclusively and alone to forgive your sin and save you. Secondly, if you're saved, you, you, you ought to have assurance of that. Amen. You know, I'm talking to someone right now in a room this size. You've trusted the Lord Jesus, but you're worried about it. You're worried, you know, church people call that you're lacking assurance of salvation. The bottom line is you're worried about it. Now, some people tend to be warriors, and if you believe in the transcendent, you believe in a God and eternity and so on, which I think are transparently true, then you've got even more to worry about because now you're supersizing, you know, worries that you'd normally have about a cold or, you know, money or whatever. Now you're just projecting that way off into the future. And I'm here to tell you that with the, the simplicity of the gospel in hand, you can be saved, you can be certain... And you can share this with other people around you. Years ago in the Americas, uh, they would often wait till it got very cold and the rivers froze so they could cross uh, you know, boundaries like rivers on uh, thin ice, on you know, hopefully a solid surface. Uh, this would be before bridges and so on. And so long ago there was a man, he was crossing this frozen river somewhere on the American frontier, I'm guessing, and uh, he was crossing, and he was being held up by the ice, but it was thin ice, as we say. He wasn't, he didn't have a great feeling about it. And so he was kind of like spreading his weight out, you know, so, and he was like inching across the ice. I've seen Eric actually do some pretty good inching along this week. Man can really fly on the floor. And he was inching across, and all of a sudden he heard this great commotion, this great noise. The guy was singing at the top of his lungs. It startled him, and he kind of looked back, and here's a guy with a four-horse team and a loaded-down buckboard 
just coming across Lickety Split just as fast as you please and just having the time of his life singing at the top of his lungs. <laughs> you know, and he was, he was trying to get across like this and the other guy's coming across with a horse and, and all kinds of stuff and weight and having the time of his life. Now, bottom line is both of those men made it across the river. But one enjoyed the journey and the other was miserable the entire time. So you say, well, Brother Weiss, I know the gospel. It's on the back of our brochure. Great. Then why are you miserable? I know the gospel. Great. Then why haven't you trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior? I know the gospel. Who have you told this week? Do you understand what I'm saying? And we make this complex. So when you get a hold uh, of how simple the gospel is, it ought to make a difference in your life. Now, the gospel is more profound, and I'm not just saying this, this is not preacher talk, this is... The gospel is more profound than anybody here understands. You went to seminary. Well, good for you. You don't understand the gospel. You do not understand all the dynamics of the gospel. But as to our privilege and obligation to respond to the gospel, a four-year-old can do that. And I'm a four-year-old that did. This was back in the 1900s, but I'm still saved. And I wasn't saved because of my great intellect or my great testimony. I was saved because... Christ died for our sins, He was buried, and He rose again. So, look, the gospel is the only good news that can give you peace with God. My question today is, do you have that peace? Have you responded in obedience to God's good news? Have you trusted Christ? Do you have the assurance of that? And are you telling people? I mean, you know, missions conference, we have all these flags back here, half of which I'm so provincial myself. I don't know what half these are. But, you know, we're all for missions and a missions dinner. Okay, great. Do you have a neighbor? Which of these missionaries is going to tell them? See, that's you. And if you won't do it here, don't fool yourself into thinking that you'd do it if you were across the ocean somewhere. So, look, the gospel is the only good news that can give you peace with God. Uh, there are two kinds of sinners here this morning. There are many more, of course. But since I'm the guy preaching, there are two kinds of sinners this morning, all right? There are good sinners. And what this means is, you keep the golden rule, you pay your taxes, you've been faithful to your spouse. I'm a good person. You may be a good person, but you're a good sinner. And good doesn't get to heaven, perfect does, and you're not. And no one here that has any family that knows you more than five minutes knows that this is true, and so surely you cannot be self-deceived otherwise. So there are good sinners, and these are people that think, I, you know, I'm okay. Now, good means you're just good enough to think you're fine, and just bad enough to go to hell. And that's a bad spot to be. There are good sinners and there are honest sinners. And if you're an honest sinner, by necessity, it means you're a humble sinner. It means I'm bad and I know it and I acknowledge it. And it may be a small sin, you know, in, in my group, but it was big enough to send Jesus Christ to the cross. And I acknowledge that and I own my sin and I accept God's Son as my Savior. So are you a good sinner or are you an honest sinner? What is the gospel? Well, first of all, the gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins. Now look, if Christ died for our sins, what does that indicate God's estimation of us is? What are we? Pretty good, but not too good. Okay, if Christ died for our sins, what does that obviously mean God's estimation of us is? What are we? We are what? Now look, you can say you're good or you go to church, or whatever. But God says that we are sinners. And let, 
let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter what we think because standards change across the world. And that's something you, again, perspective you gain by talking to people that have been abroad and been around a little bit. So whatever your standard in Clinton is, by God's holy standard, we are sinners. Our sins, we are sinners. We've broken God's law. Look, we haven't even kept the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Is there anyone honest enough to admit that you're not honest enough? Honor thy father and thy mother. There are gray-haired people that have fond memories of their parents, but you have not kept this commandment to God's satisfaction every day of your life. You are a lawbreaker, as am I. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said you can commit that sin in your heart. The Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we're not just talking about prohibition of, you know, cursing like a sailor. We're talking about taking the infinitely holy name of God and treating it tritely, lightly, and dismissively. Think about how many times we've invoked God on a Sunday, even today. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in reverence, but I'll just tell you something. There have been peoples, the Jewish people among them, who scarcely wrote the holy name of God for the reverence they had Him. So, uh, Christ died for our sins. That means we are sinners. Christ died for our sins. That means that God will punish sin. Would you look at verse 21 of chapter 15? Verse 21 says, For since by man, that is the first man, Adam, came death. So by man came death. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. You can see a parallel here, or a contrast at the same time. So, Adam brought death, sin, death, and judgment. Christ, the second Adam, uh, paid the penalty for our sins. And by His resurrection, we have hope. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So Christ died for our sins. He took the punishment we deserve. And when the Bible says Christ died for our sins, that, that is not fair that is mercy. I have sinned. You have sinned. Jesus was punished. We deserve God's judgment. Jesus suffered God's judgment. And yet God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to live the perfect life we could never live, to earn our heaven, and to offer up us a gift of fellowship with God and a home in heaven. Beyond that, when we turn to Jesus Christ alone. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For He, God the Father, hath made Him, God the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Friend, let me tell you something. The only righteousness that God is not duty-bound to reject is His own. And you cannot beg, borrow, or steal that. You come to God on God's terms. But if you've done that, trust God and not your, your feelings. Trust God and not yourself. Trust God and not the things that we add to this wonderful news. So Christ died for our sins. Verse 4 goes on to say that Christ was buried. And that He was buried, verse 4 says. You know what that means? It means when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, It is finished. It means there's nothing you can add to what Christ did. You can take it or leave it, but you cannot add to it. Christ died for our sins. There's nothing you can add. 
It's an all-or-nothing proposition. Um, if Christ is not risen, if there is no Christ, if there is no uh, forgiveness of sin by coming in obedience to God's gospel, then there is no hope. But now is Christ risen? It's, it's all or nothing. I was at uh, Bill Rice Ranch Men's Retreat. And by the way, we'll have a, a few men from here that will be at the ranch, uh, like several others that mostly are coming from way south. They'll be flying to the men's conference. But several years ago, I was talking to a man in one of the auditoriums on Bill Rice Ranch that was from Florida. He had come from South Florida, actually. And he had a, a, an interesting story. The first half of his life was good, and that was actually the bad news. And the reason it's bad news is, if you don't need Christ, you don't think you need Christ, there's no hope for you. The second half of the story was tragic, and that was the good news, and that's why he was even talking to me, because he came to a place where he realized, I cannot scale the good things I was doing when I was 10 to the life I've lived since then. So he, was, he grew up religious. Uh, in fact, he was an altar boy. He had a reverence for God, and, and uh, I think he knew a little bit about the Lord Jesus. And he was a good person. And the problem with good people is they don't see their need for Jesus Christ. They think, I can do it. I'm religious. I'm good. But life happened to this man, and he committed a felony. He went to prison. And even in prison, things happened that were shameful in his life, and, and he was thoroughly ashamed. And so the, 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 the good part of his life led him to believe he was okay. The bad part of the life led him to a guy at the ranch, namely Will Rice, and he, he wanted forgiveness. He wanted peace with God. If you don't have it now, how will you have it in eternity? So I just took him to the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalties for our sins. He was buried and he rose again, and he's alive right now to answer the request of any honest, humble sinner for peace with God. And I said to him, Mike, look, if you know that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again, God knows that. God knows the decision of your heart. Now, I did not say, uh, here's a 10-step God's simple 25-step plan of salvation. No. Look, there's only, there's only one sin that condemns that is rejecting Christ. It's not sins, it's that sin. There's only one virtue that saves, and that is coming clean with God by trusting Jesus Christ. And there's only one decision, period, that stands between you and eternity, and that is what you do with Jesus Christ. Amen. So I didn't say pray a prayer after me, and all oh, that's fine, but I didn't do that. I just, what I was saying is, look, if, if in your heart, the deal is, I'm a sinner, I know I'm a sinner, and I, I'm trusting Christ to forgive my sin and save me. I said, Mike, if that's, if that's what's in your heart, God knows your heart. Now, he had not been ruined, which is not the way to say it, by being in church so much that he didn't understand what I was saying. What I was saying is, if that's, your, if that's the heart, decision of your heart, then, then God knows that. He will forgive you. He will save you. And I remember Mike just standing there kind of almost looking at the ceiling tile and saying, Wow. You mean that that's it? Wow. He said, that, that's it? He said, um, don't you think we should pray? Well, I was all for that because Mike needed to remember what God already knew, and that was the decision of Mike's heart. So we, I said, yeah, we can pray. He said, don't you think we should kneel down? 
I said, let's do that. We knelt down. Just We were like halfway back in chairs like this. And I don't remember what Mike said, but God knew what he meant. And basically Mike said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And that man got up from his knees on his way to heaven because of the good news. There's nothing that can happen that can abrogate or change or whack in the back of the head. God's good news. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And um, that makes a difference. I, I talked to a friend uh, back in Florida back in February, and his son was about four or five. And his son heard, the, this is young, but he heard the gospel all the time. And one night, he was going to tuck his son in to, uh, tuck his son in for the night. And his son said, essentially, Dad, I, I, I need to be saved. Now, let me just tell you something. This is free and for nothing. Four-year-olds do not have the depth of experience that you have. They do not have the depth of emotion that you have. And they do not have the vocabulary that you have. But they can still be sinners. They can still need Christ. And they can still be saved. So this four-year-old said to his dad, Dad, I, I want to be saved. And I'm, I'm putting this in English. I'm translating from four-year-old language. Okay, four-year-olds can't make this real concise like a preacher should. They talk like four-year-olds, but this is what he meant. Dad, I need to be saved. And his dad said, I don't know what his dad actually said, but what his son heard him say essentially was, well, son, when you're old enough to be saved, then you can trust the Lord Jesus. Right? By the way, be saved. There's a, it's not that you just walk out and you're saved. You trust the Lord Jesus, and then he responds to what you've done. He responds to your act of faith. So he said, son, when you're old enough to be saved, We'll, we'll talk about that, something along those lines. And his dad is telling me, and a great guy, but his dad's telling me the story. So they knelt for prayer, and his little son, four or five years old, said, Dear God, I'm not old enough to be saved, but when I am, would you please save me? Now, how do you think this story ends? I just want to tell you, I don't mean to confuse you, I think God already knew his heart. Okay? But his dad kind of got on board. He, he didn't even give him the gospel. He already had the gospel. He just wanted to do what he needed to do. So he prayed with his son. And guess what? His son is saved. He's, his son is in his 20s or 30s now. He's, he's still saved. Pretty good deal. So Christ died for us since he was buried. And he rose again. This is the broken record of the New Testament. I, I almost preached from uh, Acts chapter 2. And you read about miracles and you read about some of the practices they had in the early church, and we get so enamored by, you know, church practices and miracles and all these things. All that's good. But the message of Acts is the message of Jesus. Amen. Jesus' story is our mission. That's it. And we have all this, you know, all this organization and structure and buildings and janitor and youth pastor and associate pastor. All this is good. Uh, but these people didn't have that. They, they had a house. They all met together, but they had the gospel, which what you see in Acts, I looked at it again yesterday, is he rose, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Every time they had a chance, they were preaching about the risen Christ, that he is alive. So Jesus Christ rose again, which means he is alive, and he gives eternal life. Now look, have you ever come to a place where you're a sinner, Jesus is a Savior, and you've turned to him exclusively and alone to forgive your sin and save you? I'm not asking you if you remember what you prayed. I'm asking you, have you made that decision? If you haven't, would you do it today, as others already have this week? If you've trusted Christ, then would you just trust the simplicity of the gospel and the integrity of God for your salvation? And third of all, if you've trusted Christ, would you tell people this week, this week, I think it's great to pass out tracts, that's wonderful, but 
How many of you know someone that needs the good news? Anybody here like that? You, you know someone that needs the good news? This is not a trick question. How many of you know someone that needs the good news? Okay. Now, stand up if you raise your hand. And, no. It's not a trick question. Yeah, you know people. So, give them the good news. He gives eternal life. I have a friend in the Midwest, and uh, he, he's a lawyer. And a wonderful story. He was born uh, in the States, grew up abroad, came back to the States, and uh, just a godly young I say young man, he, he's got a family, but he is. And uh, so here's his testimony, right, real quick. It took him a long time to come to Christ, and here's why. There were three, three different reasons he didn't come to Christ. The first reason was because, like my friend Mike, he grew up religious. And so he didn't think he was bad enough to need Jesus alone. But when he came to the States, he began to, to hear that he needed Jesus alone. Once he got to the States, he went to the university, and he's a smart guy. And so he was taught a, a whole heap of uh, skepticism. By the way, all of us have faith, all of us have skepticism. The question is, of whom are you skeptical? The government or God? And in whom do you have faith? You know, your money or, or God? Now, I, God has established government, God has established the church, God has established the home, but where's your faith and of, of whom are you skeptical? So he learned not just skepticism, he had that. He learned skepticism of the gospel. I doubt it because he was in university. Then he, he, came to, he, he, uh, he, he got out of university, he went to a, a law firm in a pretty big market, and um, success, and people began to notice him, and he was doing fine, and he thought to himself, I don't need Jesus, I mean, I don't even need him for, for daily bread or for money, why would I need him for anything else? I'm religious and I'm skeptical, now I'm, I'm self-sufficient, and all three of those things are different ways of keeping a person from the gospel. But one day, this man came to some people who loved him and loved the Lord Jesus and gave him the good news and wouldn't stop. And today, he's just a, a huge blessing in his church. He's given the good news that God gave him and he came to Christ because he trusted God's Son. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a good sinner or are you an honest sinner? Are you a good sinner or are you a humble sinner? And if you have trusted Christ as Savior... Will you accept God's gospel, good news, and simplicity? And will you share it the same way? You say, I don't have a bunch of verses. I don't know the Romans wrote. Hey, try this. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. Can you remember that? Okay, you don't need 20 verses. This is a truth that's put in words, yes. But I mean, I don't even know that I haven't memorized. But I do have it memorized because it's, it's, it's pretty concise. Christ died for our sins. If Christ died for our sins, what are we? We're, we're, we're sinners. If Christ died for our sins, God judges sin. If Christ died for our sin, He took our place. It's all right there. He died for our sins and He was buried. That means there's nothing you can add. And He rose again. He's alive. If you will talk to God right now, His Son Jesus is alive to see to it that the Father grants you forgiveness and peace with Him. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I do not know what's going to happen in five years. And I don't know what's going to happen in ten but I'm not nearly as worried as, about it as I would be if I did not have an overarching, overwhelming good news, and that is the gospel. And that is why we've been here this week. Would you bow with me for prayer? You've been so kind, and I'll ask Pastor, if he wishes, to join me. No, no one else is looking out of curiosity.